0: This is Archive Atlanta, episode 146, Hartsfield-Jackson International Airport. You're listening to Archive Atlanta, a history podcast where each week I'll be sharing a story about the people, places, and events that shape the history of the city of Atlanta. I'm your host, local tour guide, and total history nerd, Victoria Lemos. Hey guys, happy Friday. This week, I tackle a big topic on the list, Atlanta's airport. And I know we have held the title of busiest airport um, in the world on and off in past years. And COVID has certainly impacted these numbers a lot. But typically, Hartsfield-Jackson Airport handles over 723,000 flights a year and something like 260,000 passengers a day. In 2020, the airport handled over 593 metric tons of cargo and mail and reported an operating revenue of $442 million. And we can all talk about how spoiled we are with this airport, with our plane train and our restaurants like people actually want to eat in. And none of us realize how spoiled we are until we leave and have to go to other airports. So this week we're talking about all the things, how it started as a racetrack, how it became kind of a small airfield, who worked on making it such a big deal, why it's named after the people it's named after, all of this stuff. Before we get into Atlanta, I will share that the rise of the commercial aviation industry really took off after the passage of the Air Commerce Act of 1926. This established an aeronautical branch in the Department of Commerce. It also set up industry standards, rules, regulations, stuff like that. And there was this big push for airmail. And so the idea was that if your city did not have airmail or couldn't receive airmail or a place that airmail planes could land, you would be completely out of the loop. The story of Atlanta's airport begins with the story of the Atlanta Speedway and Asa Candler Jr. You've been listening to the podcast for a while. You know about Sarah Butler, who was on one of my very first interview episodes ever talking about the Candler building and Buddy Candler himself. And she's written about the Speedway in depth on her website, which I will put a link in the show notes. But I am going to attempt to summarize it here for you guys. The automobile rage reached Atlanta around the turn of the century. It was something that only rich mostly white men could afford. And in 1908, Edward Inman formed the Atlanta Automobile Club with Buddy Candler being a founding member. And it was just that, like a social club for these rich men to drive and race their fancy cars. Soon afterward, the name was changed to the Fulton County Automobile Club. In 1909, Indianapolis announced that they would build the world's greatest automobile racing track. And just months later, Buddy Candler bought 290 acres of farmland Just south of downtown Atlanta. By May, he and his friend Ed Durant announced their plans to build a world class racing track. I know, you're like, wow, what a coincidence! But it's not, of course. We're trying to compete. Atlanta was always trying to compete with the rest of the country. Almost a dozen farmhouses were demolished to make room for a center oval, along with living quarters for the racing teams. This track was finished in October of 1909. It had its first race in November. And it closed for good January of 1911. So that whole drama needs its own episode one day. But the bottom line is that the track was just never popular enough to sustain the costs. So now we have this large track of land just sitting here until around 1914. In that year, Asa Candler Sr. reclaimed the land and considered selling it. He even got a proposal from his brother, Bishop Warren Candler, to use it for a soon-to-be-relocated Emory University. So while we all know that didn't work out, it's kind of fun to imagine that the airport being where the campus of Emory is instead. A few local pilots asked Candler for permission to use the field as a landing area for, you know, paying a small amount of rent, and they did local flying lessons. Locally, this land became known as Candler Field. By October of 1919, there were commercial airplanes making their first visits to Atlanta and using Candler Field to land and take off. A lieutenant from the Army Air Service came from D.C. to inspect Candler Field as a potential location for airmail. And in May, a Curtis airplane from Macon landed in Atlanta, delivering the first batch of mail. The flight took an hour from Macon, and then from Candler Field to the post office, it took 43 minutes by car. But this was you know, obviously much, much faster than had ever happened before. And the first airmailed letter was sent between the manager of our Hotel Ansley and Macon's Hotel Linear. Atlanta businessmen also formed the Southern Aero Club. I find it funny how they go from cars to airplanes with the intent of establishing a flight training school and they wanted to offer public rides, which was kind of a big thing in the 20s. Candler Field would continue to grow in popularity through the early 20s with countless air shows, balloon jumps, there were weddings in airplanes, there were celebrity flyovers, I think I talked about it in the Miss Atlanta episode, they even put like Miss Atlanta in an airplane, and so it was just a popular place for people to go. In 1925, Asa Jr. approached Mayor Sims with a proposal. Why doesn't the city of Atlanta lease Candler Field to use it as a municipal airport? He would practically give it away, a five-year term, with Atlanta only needing to cover the taxes and the upkeep. Within the lease was a provision that would allow the city to purchase a property at any time for $100,000. And this is where the efforts of William Hartsfield come into play. Hartsfield was born in 1890 in Atlanta at his father's house on Butler Street. As a boy, he went to the Atlanta Speedway and saw his first monoplane, where he kind of became obsessed with airplanes. He was a young husband and father when the Great Fire of 1917 happened, and it took away his home. In 1923, already working as a lawyer, he ran for alderman of the Third Ward. And this began his political career, which included serving as Atlanta's longest-running mayor. But let's get back to 1925. Hartsfield is just a small alderman and Candler has offered this land for lease. And it was William who knew the potential of having an airport and what that could and would bring to our little baby city. He campaigned hard. Um, I heard a story that apparently he learned how to fly. He took like a ton of flying lessons, wanted to survey the land. He got his pilot's license and he only flew once by himself. But he also um, took the mayor out at the time. And by spring, city council agreed to accept the use you know, of the land as a municipal airport. He also got Fulton County to aid in the financial costs of grading the field, And so Hartsfield was made chairman of the airport committee. By April of 1925, it opened to use for airplane owners. And by June, a hangar was being constructed. He also worked with county police to keep children and cars off the airfield, which was actually a big problem because so many people wanted to come watch the airplanes. Um, he pushed through tons of emergency funding initiatives in city council. It was almost hard for me to even keep track of you know, all of these proposals and, and getting them passed. By the following year, he was preaching the need to light the airfield to allow for night flying. That project was going to cost $10,000 and the entire city at this point is just a buzz with the role of the airport, you know, how Atlanta was going to become an aviation hub. It's the 20s, which means it's forward Atlanta. You know, Atlanta's just heavy into that campaign of just how great we're going to be, and this potential airport really played into that. In 1927, famous aviator Charles Lindbergh arrived in Candler Field on his Spirit of St. Louis to a crowd of 100,000 Atlantans. His speech at Grant Field was amplified by a last-minute effort of Southern Bell Telephone. It's kind of like the first projection. And at this point in history, Charles Lindbergh is a mega-celebrity. And... This did wonders for local interest in aviation and the airport. And it wasn't, Hartsfield did not put this on, and like I said, he was still an alderman, but from what I read, he made sure he was in that welcoming parade. Uh, he sat in the car with Fire Chief William Cody. By November, there were two hangars existing, and one was under construction, and the airport was officially dedicated. There was a ceremony in January of 1928 with 600 Atlantans showing up in the bitter cold just to celebrate. Just months later, the airfield received official accreditation from the US Department of Commerce and had become an official airmail route. Remember, this was a you know really big deal to kind con- consider Atlanta being a big player. And so all is going well, right? You know what happens when things go well, Murphy's Law. And that's kind of what happened in 1928. So the five year lease that they had with the Cantlers was set to expire in 1930. But in early 1928, Buddy Candler demanded that the city purchase the airport or he would cancel the lease. And so Alderman Hartsfield kicked off a huge campaign to convince the city to come up with the funds. And so the city was on board. I mean, they were like, yeah, no, we want to do this. They wanted to do it with like bond issues. You know, they're like, oh, yeah, we'll put it in the budget. And Hartsfield's like, no, no, we need cash on hand right now, or we're going to lose this. Now, it did take until November to assure that city council would commit to this purchase. Um, In the meantime, they continued to expand. They built a post office building. They had a radio station. They had a weather bureau put in. uh, But at the same time, pilots began to express their complaints of the rough roads and dangerous landing conditions. So pilots are saying, you know, this airport runway is like landing on a country road not a runway. And so to improve all this, Hartsfield unveils a $240,000 improvement plan. In March of 1929, the deal closed and the city of Atlanta purchased Candler Field outright for $94,500. In June of 1930, just over a year later, Delta Air Service arrived at the Atlanta Municipal Airport. So I'm not going to get too far into the history of Delta, you know, probably needs its own episode, but I will share that the company began in Macon, Georgia in 1925 as a crop dusting operation to combat the bull weevil, which was a bug uh, in cotton. It was called Huff Dayland Dusters and Delta Air Service. That name was incorporated in 1928, named after the Mississippi Delta region. Passenger operations began in 1929, and then, like I just said, in 1930, they extended their service to Atlanta. Let's remember what was also going on in 1930, which is the Great Depression. And I thought about this a lot when I saw this timeline. Like, Atlanta bought the airport just months before the stock market crash. So imagine that timing had been different. Like, imagine if Candler allowed the lease to run its original term. We might not be talking about the airport today. So in the midst of the Great Depression, a large administration building was completed in 1932, the first 100-foot tower in 1934, there was runway expansions in 1938. Um, A lot of this was funded by money from the Works Progress Administration. In 1940, the airport acquired more land, and by 1942, it was 441 acres, um, almost 150 more than the original racetrack property. World War II had a big impact on Candler Field becoming a government-controlled military airfield in October of 1940. Warplanes that were destined for uh, Camp Gordon often landed at Candler Field first, um, and then it legally became known as the Atlanta Army Airfield for a short time. There was a ban on all civilian flying lessons uh, for military and safety reasons, it was said. And so all of this activity, though, all of the wartime activity led to the airport's expansion, almost doubling in size. And that's the first time it takes the title of the nation's busiest airport. In 1942, it was officially renamed the Atlanta Municipal Airport, which, of course, people refused to stop calling it Candler Field, We do this stuff today all the time. I mean, I still call Bankhead Highway Bankhead Highway, Um, but it's really funny. You could see people like into the 60s being like, I remember when it was Candler Field. By 1948, the terminal was one lone building that had been used as a surplus hangar during the war. Um, Delta and Eastern Airlines were the largest players, and then Southern Airways appeared after the war. So the 50s were full of funding, expansion, and the pushback that came with that expansion. As early as 1950, Clayton County residents were pretty pissed off about their access on State Highway 85. What was usually an unencumbered route straight into Hapeville was now a series of detours. And there was also complaints about how close the planes would fly to the roofs of their homes. One guy said, you know, I swear this airplane's going to take out my t- TV antenna. Um, those that lived in the Fairfax subdivision, they actually sued I think the airport or the city, but they were like, you know, we bought our house, we bought our dream house with the GI Bill, and now this extension of this 7,000-foot runway, the east-to-west runway they called it, has completely ruined our property values. Since 1948, Atlanta had been using what was called a temporary terminal, and at the end of 1957, they started construction on a new modern jet-aged terminal. It was designed by Robert & Co. It was supposed to be about, I think, $12 million. And it finally opened in the spring of 1961. So this had six concourses radiating from a central building. It became at that time the largest terminal building in the country. It was 60 acres long. Um, It had a mile of concourses. It had parking for 52 airplanes. William Hartsfield attended the grand opening this time as mayor of Atlanta, but then he was also the, you know, the airport's greatest champion. So it was a big deal. My favorite story about this new terminal is that it was packed with people just there sightseeing, you know, not taking airplanes. And this is weird to imagine if you're too young and you had not flown before 9-11 happened. In 1971, a week after Hartsfield passed away, the airport was formally named William B. Hartsfield Atlanta Airport. A few months later, when the first international flights began, which were to Mexico and Jamaica, it was updated to the William B. Hartsfield Atlanta International Airport. Talk about naming the airport actually dated all the way back to 1960. And there's a hilarious quote from Hartsfield where he's like, you know, the only thing anyone's ever named after me was the gorilla at the zoo, <laughs> which he's right. And so, I mean, I think he was kind of saying, you know, he'd be happy to to be have the airport named after him as new terminal construction wrapped up editorials were coming out in favor of naming the airport for him and there was opposing editorials as well but again it took like another 11 years and him passing away before they actually did it in the 1970s we had the passage of the airline deregulation act which brought in a bunch of new airlines to atlanta Uh, delta also added the first transatlantic flights with service to london In 1977, construction began on a new terminal building. And so this was under the mayoral term of Maynard Jackson. Um, He was mayor at the time. He was a big supporter of the airport's expansion. And this new structure was designed by Stevens and Wilkinson. I think a couple other people as well. And it was, at this time, the largest construction project going on in the South. And it cost $500 million. It took years to complete, opening in the fall of 1980. And then it held the title of the largest passenger terminal in the world. And the moving sidewalks and the shuttle system were like something out of a Jetsons episode. At this point, the super cool modern terminal that we had built in 1961 was considered old, small, inefficient, and then eventually in the way. It closed in 1980, and in 1984, in very Atlanta fashion, it was imploded. Maynard Jackson passed away in October of 2003, and so city council voted to rename the airport in his honor. And that's how we get the current name, Hartsfield-Jackson International Airport. Now, the story does not end here. You know, again, I try to keep this under 20 minutes. Um, The airport has continued to expand. I uh, highly recommend the book called Flight Path. I'm going to post a link in the show notes. It talks about uh, communities that were lost, homes that were lost by the author, But I've provided here kind of the earliest history up until the late 70s. So there you have it. The story of Atlanta's Hartsfield jackson International Airport. Thank you everyone for listening. Remember to leave a rating and or a review. You can visit the Patreon link in the show notes to support the podcast. Hope everyone has a great weekend and I'll talk to you next week.